Good morning, church. So as you guys can see, we have not got the sound fixed yet. The compressor is not supposed to be in till this weekend, and then it takes several hours to get everything mixed up. And, and so we're still struggling with the sound a little bit, but Lord willing, that's going to be fixed very, very soon. I want to welcome everyone here today. Uh, especially those of you who may be visiting with us. We also want to welcome those of you who are joining us live online. I know that Richard and Cindy are at home today sick, and they're watching online, so we want to say hello to them. Y'all can turn around and wave it at Richard and Cindy if you want to. But we're glad that you guys are here. For the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series entitled The Greatest of All Time, where we've been trying to answer the question... Is our God greater than the greatest challenges that we face in this life? We've talked about difficult circumstances. We've talked about suffering and pain. We've talked about doubt. And we've talked about things in our past. Last week, we talked about the future. And I hope that through this study, you've been able to see that God is greater than all those things. And we're going we're gonna to wrap up this lesson today with one more in this series. And I want to begin by asking you a question to kind of introduce our lesson today. How many of you like boating? Raise your hand. How many of you have spent time on a boat? Maybe a cruise ship? Uh, maybe a fishing boat? Maybe some of you enjoy just hanging out on a pontoon boat or a canoe or maybe a kayak. But boats are a lot of fun. Being out on the water is a lot of fun. But one of the things that I have discovered is that being, out a being on a boat or being out on the water is fun in different ways to different people. Right? I mean, there are some people who love nothing better than just to get into a pontoon boat and just kind of cruise around the lake with the stereo system on, soaking, on, soaking in the rays. And, and then there are others of you who like getting on a boat, going out, and, and doing some fishing. Do we have any fishermen in here this morning? Okay. I, I enjoy fishing. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, our family bought some kayaks. And Julie and I occasionally will go out, and Julie likes more of just going out and soaking up the sun and just looking at all the beauty. But man, I love going out, casting, doing some fishing, and, and that's just so relaxing to me. Now, there may be others of you, you love going out on a boat so that you can ski, or you can tube, or you can wakeboard. I mean, you love the excitement of being out on a lake. But then there are others of you who when you think about being out on the water, it terrifies you. Do we have anybody like that? Do we have anybody in here this morning? You say, man, I don't want to go anywhere near the water. And, and one of the reasons may be that you can't swim. And so when you think about being out on the water, when you think about being out on a boat, you think about one of these, right? I mean, if, I, if I'm going out, if, if someone were to drag me out on the water, you better believe I'm going to be clinging to a life vest. I'm going to be clinging to a life jacket. 
because I am scared of the water. You know, there are different things in life that raise our fear factor, but I love what the author of Aesop Fable said one time, my life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which has never, what church? Has never happened. Have you ever noticed that? There are so many things in life that we fear, that we are absolutely terrified of, but never actually happen. How many of you remember Y2K? Y'all remember that? You, you remember as we were getting ready to go into the new millennium, you know, they were saying, man, this is, this is not a good thing because all the computers across the globe are going to shut down. Right? I mean, look at some of the headlines. Oh, this is the end of the world. And, and this is the day that the world crashes. And, and everyone was scared to death. I was just a kid. Man, I, I remember I was absolutely terrified. They were talking about power grids going down. And, and the financial markets were going to crash. And, and people went out, man. And, and they were pulling money out of the banks. And they were buying fuel for their generators. And they were buying water and food, and food, stashing those things to the side because they were terrified. And what came from it? I think like one guy's computer crashed, right? In other words, it was, it was a non-event. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is the number one weapon of a terrorist? It's not bombs in a bag. It's not planes crashing into a skyscraper. A terrorist's number one weapon is fear. And let me tell you something. That is our spiritual enemy's number one weapon as well. Because if he can cause us to be afraid, then he can paralyze us spiritually. We can be paralyzed from becoming who God wants us to be. We can be paralyzed from doing the things that God wants us to do because we're afraid. Listen, we all have fears in life. Maybe it's the fear of difficult conversations. Or maybe it's the fear of insignificance, that our life won't matter. Or, or maybe it's the fear of, of financial calamity. Or maybe it's the fear of making difficult decisions. Even fear strikes in the home of a five-year-old who's getting ready to go off to kindergarten. There's, there's weeping and there's, please don't leave me. And finally the five-year-old has to turn to his mom and say, Mom, I'm coming back in a couple of hours. Just relax. We have all these different things that we fear, and so it's no surprise as we get into God's Word, the command that we see the most, the command that we see God repeating over and over and over again is fear not. Do not be afraid. Look at Mark chapter 4 with me this morning. I want to tell you, tell you a story that I think if a lot of us were there, if we had been involved in this story, story ourselves, I, I think it would have probably 
spurred some fear in us. But Mark chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 35 through 41. It's kind of a lengthy reading this morning, so I'm not going to put it up on the screen. So you can grab a Bible in the pew in front of you if you want to follow along with me today. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up, having waves, or high waves, were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a, there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, so let's start right there. Jesus and his disciples had had a real busy day. Of ministry. They had encountered large crowds and, and lots of people, and they were just absolutely worn out. And so Jesus suggests that they get in a boat and they go to the other side of the lake so that they could kind of refuel and catch their breath and, and get some rest. And so they get into a boat. Not a cruise ship, but a small fishing boat, one that would have held like 13 people and a couple of fish. And they get into this boat and they start across the Sea of Galilee. And it's a beautiful day. It's a calm evening. And so Jesus goes to the back of the boat and he goes to sleep. Because not only was he fully God, he was also fully human. And, and so he got tired. Right? His body needed rest and, and refreshment as well. And so he goes to the back and he takes a nap. And in the middle of that nap, as they're going across the Sea of Galilee, this big storm comes up, which, which was not uncommon. These storms would come up suddenly because you would have the warm air coming off the sea mixing with the cool air coming down from the mountains. And so just out of nowhere, these storms, these big storms would arise. Well, here in our text, a storm has arisen. There's wind and there's waves and there's rain and there's lightning and the water is lapping over into the boat. And the Greek phrase for this storm in the original text is megaseismus. It's where we get our word seismic activity. It means a turbulent shaking. Well, this was a mega seismic storm, a, a turbulent storm, and the disciples, they are absolutely terrified because they're fishermen. I'm sure they had been out on the Sea of Galilee when storms had arisen. They, they knew how dangerous these storms could be. Maybe they even knew a fisherman whose lives had been taken in some of these storms. But as the storm is raging, Jesus is in the back of the boat and he's asleep. 
And the disciples, metaphorically, they're clinging to one of these while Jesus is clinging to one of these. Right? And, and the disciples, they're just, they're having a hard time believing that Jesus could stay asleep in the middle of this. And so finally they wake him up, verse 38, and look at what they ask him. Teacher, don't you, why church? Don't you care that we're about to drown? Now, how many of you would honestly say that there have been times when you have been fearful in life and maybe you've asked God the same question, God, don't you care about me? I mean, God, why, why, why are you allowing me to raise these kids alone? Don't you care? God, why are you allowing me to go through these financial struggles? Don't, don't you care? God, these were supposed to be the best years of my life, the years, the years of, of retirement. And, and, and now here my, my health is declining and I'm, I'm struggling financially. I mean, God, don't, don't you care about me? God, how could you allow that person to do something like that to me? Or maybe it's, God, you know how long we waited for this pregnancy and now we're having complications. Now we've lost the baby. God, don't, don't you care? Or God, I dreamed of a great marriage and, and, and I've given it my all, my faithfulness, my, my love, but all I've experienced is lies and betrayal and deceit. God, don't you even care? How many of you would be honest enough to say there have been times when you've, you've wondered or maybe even asked that question? Well, the wind is blowing and the rain is pelting and the water is, is coming into the boat and the disciples are afraid and so they wake Jesus up and Jesus stands up and notice what he says. He says, silence. He's speaking to the storm. He says, silence. Why church? Peace, be still. And the amazing thing is immediately the storm stopped, right? Everything went calm. Now, as you look at, at Mark chapter 4, the miracle here is not that the storm stopped. Because here's the deal, eventually all storms stop, right? The miracle is that Jesus spoke to the storm and he said, you stop now. And immediately the storm went calm. It stopped. It obeyed the voice of Jesus. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? And then the disciples ask a very, very important question. Verse 41, they say, who is this man? That even the wind and the waves obey. Who is this man who... who 
speaks and the storm stops. Who is this man who is not afraid in the middle of the storm? In fact, he's in the back of the boat taking a nap. Who is this man? Listen, that question right there is one of the most important questions that we will ever ask in life. Who is this man? who is greater than our storms, who is greater than our fears. You know what's interesting is a few minutes before, the disciples were terrified at the storm, right? But now, after they've seen everything that Jesus has done, they're terrified of Him. And, and they ask the question, who is this man? Well, I think Colossians answers this question for us. Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 17. If you've never read this, I want to encourage you to find this in your Bible. Mark it, go back and, and read it for yourself. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made what, church? Made anything. In, in other words, there was nothing there. Nothing at all. And is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through Him and for Him. He existed before everything else began. And He holds all creation together. Who is this man that the winds and waves obey? Who is this man who can calm the storm? Who is, who is this man? Who is this God? Who spoke our universe into existence? Out of ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. You know, you'll oftentimes hear people say, yeah, I made those cookies from scratch. And it's like, no, you didn't. Right? I mean, you started with some ingredients. Or, or maybe you'll hear a builder say, yeah, I, that, that's not a prefab home, right? I, I built this home from scratch. Well, no, you didn't. You, you started with some, some materials, Scientists and inventors and builders can do many things, but they can't make things ex nihilo out of nothing. But wouldn't it be great if, if we could, right? We needed a car and we'd say, give me a car. And all of a sudden it appeared. We just spoke the word, but that doesn't happen. But here's Jesus, and he speaks the world into, into existence, the universe. And Jesus commands the wind and the waves to stop and everything goes calm. But how many of us would admit this morning that there have been times in our lives, maybe when we're in the middle of the storm, and we forget about that. We forget about His power and His, and His uh, majesty and His mighty works and how awesome He really is. Anybody else guilty besides me? we become scared. 
You know, when I was young, I remember seeing the movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Anyone else seen that? Rick Moranis, he plays this nerdy inventor who creates this machine that shrinks everything down to microscopic size. And at one point in the movie, he has to explain to his wife, you know, how he accidentally shrunk their kids. And I don't know how many of you go to Disney, but several years ago, Disney even had a 3D movie that you could watch at Epcot. It was called Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, and it was cool. When the characters on the screen would walk, the room would shake like you'd been shrunken down, and at one point the dog sneezes and you're sprayed, you know, and it, it, it was just really, really cool. But, but think about this. Do we ever shrink God down? I think it's been going on since the beginning, hasn't it? In fact, there's a great illustration of this in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Children of Israel, they're facing their arch enemies, the Philistines, and they go to battle. And man, the Philippines put a whoop them on. And the Israelites are scratching their head and they're like, what in the world? How could, we who, how could we lose this battle? And finally they begin to realize, oh, it's because we didn't take God into battle with us. And so they immediately go and they get the Ark of the Covenant, which was God in a box, or at least that's how they, they felt. And they bring the Ark of the Covenant onto the battlefield with them. And man, when the children of Israel see the Ark of the Covenant, they're screaming and shouting, and the Philistines are, are kind of terrified at that point. But guess what? At the end of the day, the Philistines win. Their enemy wins. They even take the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason that story is so significant is Israel thought that they could shrink God down and put Him in a box. And not just physically, but spiritually as well. But the truth of the matter is, God will not be contained. We can't shrink Him down to a box or a building or, or any other container. He is the most shrink-resistant entity in the universe. There is no equal to God. He is the God of all creation. He is bigger than all. He is more powerful than all. He is greater than all. In fact, usually, as you look at several of the stories in the Bible, when people would somehow encounter God in some way, they wouldn't say, oh man, awesome, God's here. Right? They would be terrified. They would, they would shrink back in fear. In fact, there are some 150 passages in the Bible that talks about the fear of the Lord. For example, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what, church? Wisdom. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a what, church? A fountain of life. And some of you may be looking at this and you're scratching your head and you're like, man, I don't, I don't get it. I mean... We have all these commands where we're told not to be afraid and yet we 
we have these other passages that talk about how we are to fear the Lord. I mean, that just seems very inconsistent. How does that all work together? Listen, when we really figure out who God is, the one who controls the wind and the waves, who created the universe out of nothing, what happens in life is we begin to develop a sobering reverence and awe and holy fear of God. But God doesn't want us to be afraid of Him and and keep distant from Him. And so right away, when people would encounter God, He would immediately say, look, don't be afraid. I am, a, I am a God who has come to help. I'm, I'm a God who has come to support. I am a God that has come to love. And, and that's one of the reasons why God became flesh, right? Jesus came so that we could see that. In fact, 1 John chapter 4 verse 18 says that it is His perfect love that casts out fear. Right? And so I want you to think about two questions as we close out this series this morning and as as we close out our lesson. First of all, have you admitted that you need God? Think about that for a moment. That you need the God that the wind and the waves obey. You know, I think this is really the only thing that the disciples got right in this story. They knew that they were in trouble. And they knew that they needed God to intervene in their circumstances. And where did they go, man? They went right to Jesus. They may have done a lot of other things wrong. They may, have not, they, they may not have had the faith that they needed to have, but they knew where they should go. They went to Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, are you at a point in your life where you're ready to admit that you need Jesus? That you need God? I would bet that some of you are. I would bet that some of you have found yourself recently becoming more and more amazed at the God who is greater than. And it surprises you because over the last three months or six months or or 12 months, you've begun to change, right? Your, Your life has begun to change. I mean, prior to that, God wasn't even on your radar. Prior to that, God really wasn't that important to you. But now you're starting to experience Him working in your life. I've seen this happen over and over and over again. I've had conversations with new Christians that went something like this. Slate, if you would have asked my friends or if you would have asked me if I would ever become a believer, that I would ever become a Christian, they would have told you and I would have told you there is no way. God started working in my life. I had someone invite me to worship or I was going through a hard time in my life and I had a a friend who came alongside or a family member who came alongside me and said, hey, can I pray with you? And and we prayed together. And and I'm telling you, from, from there, 
my life began to change. I mean, here I am now. I'm, I'm having spiritual conversations, something I would have never thought I would have been doing. It's like God ambushed me. But here's what really happened. They stopped fighting God. And they started asking the question, who is this man that the winds and the waves obey? They came to the point to where they began to see that he is God. He is the God of all creation. And they got to the point to where they said, I need him. And I bet that describes some of you this morning. And, and here's the deal. When we really begin to understand who God is, I get it. It can be terrifying. It can be overwhelming. But when we really begin to realize that He came through Jesus to be close to us and to die for us, and to offer His love and His grace and His mercy, man, He becomes really hard to resist, doesn't He? And I'm just praying that some of you will have some sleepless nights over the next couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, that you'll get to the point to where you realize you need Jesus. But then one last question. Will you move in faith toward the very thing that you fear? You know, you look back in verse 40 and it says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Look at, look at Psalm chapter 46, the passage that Luke read for us this morning. Psalm 46, this is probably one of the most well-known verses on fear. It's written by a guy who knew fear well to people who really... Uh, needed this passage on fear. And what he writes here is really easy to read, but man, it is so hard to practice, right? Notice what the psalmist writes. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Help me with the next part. So we will not, why church? We will not fear when the earthquakes come. And the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Notice David gives us this declaration that God, man, He is our refuge. He is our strength. He's, he's ready to help us in times of trouble. But then he also goes on to say, and so we will not fear, right? Now, is, that, is, is he talking about times that are perfect? Is he talking about when all our circumstances are lined up just the way we want them to? No, he says, we will not fear in the middle of earthquakes, the mountains crumbling, the ocean roaring, the mountains trembling as the waters surge. We will not fear because God's with us. 
You see, that's why two groups of people can look at the same situation and see it totally different. Because one is looking through it, looking at the circumstances through the eyes of faith, and then you have others who are looking at that same situation through the eyes of fear. That's why two groups of people can look at a storm and one grabs a life vest and the other grabs a pillow. It's the difference in perspective. Same circumstances, right? But different perspective. Listen, when Jesus says don't fear, He's, saying, he's not saying just chill. He's not saying just, just calm down. What He's saying when He says do not fear... He's asking people to take a step in faith towards that which they fear. In other words, when Jesus says, do not fear, He's calling us to be courageous people. And generally, there's going to, to come a defining moment of truth where we've got to decide if we're going to do that or not. If we're going to let fear paralyze us and keep us from being and doing everything that God wants us to be, or, or whether we're going to take a step in faith. And so let me ask you this morning, if you really believe that God was a refuge and strength, a help in times of trouble, what fear would you start walking toward today? Maybe it has something to do with your job. Maybe it has something to do with your kids. Maybe it has something to do with some really big decision that you've got to make. Maybe it has something to do with an addiction that you're struggling with. Maybe it has something to do with your marriage. Or maybe it has something to do with your spiritual journey. But what bold step of faith would you take today if you believed with all your heart, God is with me. He is my God. The God of all creation, the God who the wind and waves obey. What steps of faith would you take today? Listen, moving from fear-based living to faith-based living always takes a courageous step. Because faith isn't faith until it risks. Faith isn't faith until we move toward the very thing that we fear. And so what step do you need to take this morning? Knowing that you serve the greatest of all time. Who is greater than your circumstances, who's greater than your doubt, who's greater than your suffering, who's greater than your past, who's greater than your, your future. He's even greater than the storm. He's greater than your fears. And so what step do you need to take in faith today? Maybe it's to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe it's to confess and, and to turn away from some sin that you've got in your life right now. 
Maybe it's to be faithful at home or, or faithful at work. Whatever the case may be, I, I want to encourage all of us to look to God, to seek Him and to live for Him and to trust that He's going to be with us every step of the way. If you need to respond, won't you come? Together we stand and sing.